But the question that I had to ask myself as a very young doctor um, and as a young Christian as well is, is it enough to want to be the best medical missionary for the purpose of leading others to Christ? Is it enough? We are here essentially at this weekend because we believe that we want to be the health professional that makes a difference, that is different, that shows a different side of patient care to whoever we come in contact with. But it is odd that Jesus would respond to such a request or such a question as the rich young ruler posed in the way that he did. And they are questions that I was grappling with as I started my career, and indeed I hope I grapple with um, as I continue on. And I want to pick up in verse 17, sorry, verse 18. And in verse 18, Jesus says, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, and that is God. Now the story goes that Jesus, Jesus is one of those people that almost, um, you know those people that answer questions with questions? And you don't feel like it's satisfying. It's not a satisfying answer, but he asks this rhetorical question of the rich young ruler, and he says, why do you call me good? In other words, what is it about me that you think is good? The pen of inspiration, Desire of Ages, tells us this ruler had a high estimate of his own righteousness. He did not really suppose that he actually had lacked anything, but he was not altogether satisfied. But what was it about Jesus that he thought was good? What did he feel that Jesus could offer him spiritually that he had not already experienced? He was a Sanhedrin in training, basically a Pharisee to be. He was one of the um, young stars to watch almost um, in the times of Israel. Was his greeting to Jesus, was his question a mere, a mere formality, a mere um, polite greeting, or did he really, really know what he was asking for? So the same question could be said of me. What is it about Jesus's role in my ministry as a dentist, as a Christian, that I actually see as good? You know, when I, at one stage, I, was, um, I went through the process of interviewing for medical schools. And when you prepare for medical school interviews, one piece of advice they usually give you is if you should ever be asked the question, why do you want to be a doctor? Try your best not to say to help people. And it's not because they don't think you want to help people, but it's just because everyone says that, and it loses its meaning when you just say you want to help people. Um, is it that we really desire to be a blessing to others, to alleviate their suffering, to show them Christian kindness, or is it something more? Now, these things are by no means insignificant because Jesus then goes on to, to list a, a list of commandments that relate to the way this rich young ruler was to relate to them around him, his neighbors. And indeed, we know from Romans that these commandments particularly relate to the way we love those around us and our relationship with our neighbors, friends, strangers, those that people have placed in our care, that Jesus has placed in our care. So the command to love our neighbors as ourselves, to bless other people, to be able to alleviate their physical suffering is by no means insignificant. But I had to think to myself, there are many, many non-Christian professionals, health professionals, that could do the same thing, that could alleviate suffering, that could be kind, that could be compassionate, um, that could be generous to those around them. So what makes us different? What makes me different? And Jesus' answer is so clear, so unambiguous. Verse 21, it says, Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him 
and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come. Take up the cross and follow me. One thing thou lackest. And I was starting my career and I was thinking, oh, this is great, no more exams. Um, finally don't have to pay any school fees. Life is looking up. But it's a stark reality to realize that Jesus is telling me, especially at, at the prime of my life, you lack one thing, probably more than one thing, but especially one thing. You lack one thing. Desire of Ages says, the Redeemer longed to create in him that discernment which would enable him to see the necessity of heart devotion and Christian goodness. If he would place himself under the under the guidance of Christ, he would be a power for good, for he possessed qualifications which, if he were united with the Savior, would enable him to become a divine force among men. So Jesus essentially presented this rich young ruler with a choice, and he said, heavenly treasure, which would be eternal life, or worldly esteem. If he were to follow Jesus, he would have to forego all the worldly ambition and promise that awaited him in the Sanhedrin. Um, but, again, to keep back little or much from God was to retain that which would lessen his moral strength and efficiency. For if the things of this world are cherished, they will become all-absorbing. These words struck me struck me so hard as I was reading them and thinking about how they relate to my career and the way that I conduct myself. As I was reading this story, I was struck with the contrast of that of Zacchaeus, and we all know Zacchaeus. Um, I, I particularly relate to Zacchaeus because we're both a little bit vertically challenged. But Zacchaeus was similarly a man with a promising career. He was also very rich. And Luke 19, if we could turn briefly to Luke 19, tells us of the story of how Zacchaeus is going about his business and then Jesus comes into his vicinity or comes into his neighborhood one day. It tells of his encounter, he climbs up into the tree, etc., etc. But the turning point for him really came in verse 5. And let's read from verse 5 and it says, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said to him, This day is salvation come this house for so much as he is also a son of Abraham. For the son of man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. So contrasted to the rich young ruler, Zacchaeus was also uh, confronted with the situation where he had to choose between worldly treasure, worldly esteem, and heavenly treasure, which was eternal life. In contrast to the rich young ruler, though, he had an experience with Jesus. He felt his love, he felt his kindness, he felt his forgiveness. And the restitution, the renunciation of worldly possessions that followed was a mere consequence of his experience and his love for Jesus. He wanted to know the world, and he wanted the world to know um, that he had been changed. And his actions, his restitution, held the principle that is said in Psalms 100 and. 107 verse 2. 
Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Zacchaeus was redeemed, and he was saying so and doing so. And I was struck with these two stories, and I thought to myself, which of these am I? Am I the rich young ruler, or am I Zacchaeus? What is my experience with Jesus, and what is your experience with Jesus? And I read again, and it said, only one thing he lacked, desire of ages, but that was a vital principle. He needed the love of God in the soul. As I said before, our theme for this weekend is bended knee to bedside. We want to be praying doctors. We want to be earthen vessels for Jesus to pour through to our patients. Uh, We want to be the best doctors to make sure that we give our patients the best care we can. That's all important, but could it be that our bended knee experience is exactly that, that we are only as good a doctor as we are a Christian? Before eternal life, before blessing, before any service that the rich young ruler hoped to offer came the question, what good do you see in God? What is your personal testimony of his goodness? Do you have a daily experience with him? How much do you love him? What can you share of your experience with others? And if we lack, if I lack this spiritual depth, or if we yearn for a deeper experience with Jesus to be able to bring to our bedside, then Jesus, the master healer, has this recipe for us. And that is so simple. It is the verse of Mark 10, verse 21, that we read before. And the three stages that he outlines for us. The first is, to go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast. And for some, this may be material wealth, but more pertinently, perhaps for us in the industry where we pride ourselves on a culture of lifelong learning, I'm, I'm sad to say that involves exams, but we all love to learn for life. Um, it speaks also of the wealth of knowledge that we as doctors, health professionals, are seemingly always seeking to conquer because there's always something more to learn. There's always more to do in your career. There's always more, to, more accolades to chase. The rich young ruler had earthly possessions that he was urged to use in the support of God's cause, but perhaps the crux of the matter for him was not so much um, giving up these treasures, these riches, but more the donation of his heart. The only reason his possessions were an issue were because they were a liability, they were a constant reminder of his allegiance to his current life. And true discipleship for him would involve require a a state of no strings attached almost, where he had no attachment to his previous life. For where your heart, your treasure is, there your heart is also. Matthew 6, verse 20. For the rich young ruler, it was the possession to which he was entrusted, um, which was his talents, his riches also, but more his talents, his youth, his energy, his love for Jesus. And God similarly entrusts us with means, talents, opportunities, that we may be his agents in helping the poor and suffering. He uses those whom he has entrusted gifts as God designs to become a co-worker with the Savior. He wins souls to Christ because he becomes a representative of his character. I, um, I was born into a, an extended family that has quite a, a large medical background. And my immediate family, in my immediate family, my brother is also a doctor, but my parents are not specifically in the medical field. Um, but further abroad, I have many cousins and uncles and aunties that are similarly in the medical field. Growing up, I had an interest in pediatrics. Uh, 
family expectations aside, medicine was really the only thing I ever imagined myself doing, only because I was so familiar with it. I was always surrounded by it. I knew what it looked like. I knew the training pathways. I knew what you needed to do. I knew how hard you needed to study. I knew the lifestyle sacrifices that you had to make. Uh, interestingly, my immediate family out of our entire extended family was the only one that converted to Adventism, and we did that through the New Start program when I was still very young, living in Singapore. And so we firmly believe in the health message. But any illusions of prestige or status associated with pursuing a medical or a healthcare career were really lost on me uh, because it was somewhat the norm in the family. I had, um, I have rather, I should say, older cousins that were neurology consultants before they turned 30. They had government scholarships to do fellowships for neurology in Mayo in Rochester. I have another cousin who uh, finished his anesthetic training at a very young age and just for kicks, just to pass the time in theatre, he decided to do law via correspondence. So to, do, to pursue ac academia or uh, to become a doctor was, was no spectacular achievement. But what really appealed to me was more the challenge that the, the life involved or the lifestyle involved. By nature, I realized that I was a fairly ambitious person. Not that I liked to compete with others and rather I would actually shy away from competing with others, but I loved to challenge myself, to know that I was doing new things all the time, to know that I was having new experiences. And that was what I needed to feel fulfilled. I love the diversity of medicine. I uh, in my limited understanding of the field at the time, I thought it would be fun to be working with kids all the time, every day, all day, um, and in an environment where people enjoy challenging themselves and, and, and my fellow doctors just wanted to be better at what they did all the time. Now, I realize now, in retrospect, that um, that was a little bit naive and, and there are politics involved in every field, but that was what I, that was what I imagined in my mind. I love the fast pace. I love that um, there was a prescribed career training path and you just kind of needed to do what you needed to do. It wasn't necessarily easy, but it was straightforward to get where I wanted to be. More importantly, growing up in this family environment that I did, I loved that um, the way to integrate medicine with ministry was somewhat uh, straightforward in the sense that the avenues for holistic medicine, the way that you introduce lifestyle concepts, the way that you lead people through health to church uh, was something that I'd grown up with. And in fact, we had a first-hand experience with as a family. I had it all worked out in my mind. And some people look at me and say, hang on, well, you're not a doctor now, you're a dentist. Uh, when, when I finished high school and, and Praise the Lord, I was, I was very blessed to finish high school um, very comfortably. And I applied to, as, as kids do these days, they apply to every med school in Australia, and there aren't that many. So you just apply to all and you hope for the best. And um, it turns out that not by any strength of my own, I had full scholarships to enter every single university for medicine, except for the one in Melbourne that was undergraduate. So there are two medical schools in metropolitan Melbourne now. Uh, there's the University of Melbourne and then Monash University and some other post-grad schools around the, around the state. But um, I had all offers, sorry, I had offers to all the schools around Australia with full academic scholarships except for Monash. And uh, some people looked at me and they're like, well, that's simple. You just move and you go to medical school and then you come back. It's, uh, it's no brainer. Uh, 
Interestingly, um, and the tradition is really that nowadays if you're applying for health science courses like medicine, because of the competition and such, you usually list some other options, but you don't really think or you hope that you won't need to use those options. And so the, the most common combination is usually something like medicine, pharmacy, law, uh, dentistry, physiotherapy, something like that. And you list them in, in, in an order that suits you. And so I put dentistry in there for, uh, for peace of mind, I guess, just to fill out the slots. They had 12 spots to fill out, so I did that. I never imagined dentistry as a lifestyle. I never imagined that uh, I would be working with teeth all day. I had no feelings towards teeth. I was not passionate about it. Um, I have colleagues that grew up in dental families and they could talk and wax lyrical about teeth all day and that, that just wasn't my thing. I was faced with the, the prospect of moving interstate for uh, ministry, uh, sorry, for, for studies or to stay at home and that would be where I could serve best in my local church, where I could grow, where I could continue to serve in um, various different things I was involved in at the time. Uh, for example, the AYC conference and so on and so forth. I was also faced with the prospect of uh, a very long training pathway in medicine versus quite a short one in dentistry and what that would mean for my lifestyle and my ability to serve after graduation. But Jesus, when he outlined the second step to give to the poor, made me realize that I am choosing to become a healthcare professional to meet physical suffering, yes, but only so that I can be sensitive to spiritual suffering. So am I sensitive to people that have um, spiritual need, that are poor in spirit spiritually? Am I sensitive to those that Jesus places in my pathway, in my local church that aren't necessarily my patients? Am I always at work? Am I always training uh, such that I am not able to meet these needs? Will I spend my whole life in my career? But Jesus said to come, take up this cross and follow me. And for me, this cross has been a journey of um, an interesting 12 months. And I know I'm running out of time, so I'm going to try and shorten this. But it's ironic that I would stand up at a somewhat professional conference today and tell you that in all honesty, when I started my career, and perhaps still a few months into it, I didn't have very much of an idea of what dentistry involved at all. Uh, as I said, you know, I was just surrounded by this medical all the time that I really didn't know what it would look like to be a committed Christian who was a good, um, accomplished, developing, uh, ambitious dentist. What would that look like? I, I'd never seen one of those. I'd never met one of those before. As I graduated, I probably graduated at one of the, mo the trickiest uh, times for dentistry economically in Australia, and particularly in Victoria, where there are uh, a lot of, well, there are two dental schools in a, in a very small state and a lot of dentists. And so it was incredibly hard for me to find a job that did not involve Sabbath because Sabbath morning work is an industry norm that I did not fully realize until I graduated. And as a young graduate, uh, you're really not in a position to pick and choose. Uh, but many, many employee, employers rather, would want you to do Sabbath mornings to be able to build up your books because that's when you see emergencies, that's when you see more cases, and that's how you build up your own clientele. But I made a decision very early on that I would not work on the Sabbath. And so I was faced with the, position, with the situation where I really had very limited jobs to choose from. I was very blessed and, and God gave me a job in the rural uh, Bass Coast region, so South Gippsland, 
in Melbourne. And this job was a Monday to Friday type job. However, I still had the struggles of all the dental CPD being on Sabbath, um, so continuing professional development, dental courses, that sort of stuff. And I had this itch, I had this ambition to be able to, okay, well, if I'm not in the job that I want, um, then at least let me learn so that I can continue to grow. Uh, but that was not the case, and that was not what God had in plan for me. After a while, I decided to move back to metropolitan Melbourne because I realized that, yes, while I could come back to Melbourne on the weekends, still be involved in ministry on Friday, Saturday, and so forth, would it mean very much if I was a nominal Christian to attend church on the weekends but not be there during the week to be able to invest in people's lives? The people that I was meeting, the people that I was communicating with, would it mean very much if as a dental uh, professional I gave the token health talk once a year or twice a year or whatever, but then the follow-up was left to someone else? What type of a Christian would I be? Would I be a Christian first or a dentist? So I moved back to metropolitan Melbourne and, and the job situation was even scarier. Um, as a new graduate, you go through the list of jobs and probably one out of 20 will say um, graduates are able to apply or this is open to graduates and so on and so forth. And out of those, probably one out of 20 will say that there are no Sabbath hours involved. So right now I'm in a job uh, in the outer metropolitan region of Melbourne, but I still find that there are challenges in terms of mentorship, in terms of growth, in terms of the ability for me to further my career. But the question comes again, do I love Jesus? Do I have the love for Jesus? Do I love Jesus in spite of circumstances? Do I see God as a transactional God? That God, I've done this, I've kept your Sabbath, I've been diligent in my studies, I'm doing this for um, the good of others, I, I'm not chasing fame and fortune. Why have you not blessed me? Do I see God as one that should bless me the way that I see fit? Or am I faithful despite it? Do I love a Jesus that I would give anything for, that I would share with others all day, every day, that I would, um, that I would forgo any career advancement at this stage? in the way that I imagined. I say this not out of disrespect for dentists and doctors. My brother is a doctor. I have the utmost respect for, for what he does. And, and many of my spiritual mentors that I respect the most are doctors. I see the way that they balance their life, their church planting, their personal ministries, their Bible studies, their family, um, ministering to others and their career. And it tells me how they would treat their patients. I don't need to be their patient to know that. I want to thank the Amen Board specifically for intentionally investing in young doctors and young dentists because when I look outside, I see accolades, I see ambition, I see, um, I see achievement, I see affluence. But when I look at the way that some of you and some of you I've known um, for longer personally, the way that you make your professional choices, the way that you are faithful as a Christian, I see Jesus. And as, as health professionals now, I guess I'm included in the same thing. I want, I want to encourage us to consider not only the young doctors and dentists that are here today, but those that aren't. And in the church, there are a wealth of young people that are training in medical, pharmacy, physiology, dentistry, whatever you, you want to um, consider, but they are not necessarily here because they see the contrast. They see the contrast of ambition and accolades but yet, will it be said of our lives, will it be said of our faithfulness, not only in our careers, in our medical ministry, but also in our local church ministry, that they can see Jesus? Can they see Jesus in the way we are faithful? 
I know I'm over time, but I just wanted to share this in closing with you. I currently have a 50-kilometer uh, one-way commute to work every day, so it's a little bit of a drive. But in that time, I'm using that time to cultivate my relationship with Jesus. And I'm praying every day for my patients, for my colleagues, um, and so on and so forth. And there is a song that I play in my car, and it, the words just struck me as I was preparing for this. And it says, teach me, Father, what to say. Teach me, Father, how to pray. Teach me all along the way how to be like Jesus. Teach me as the days go by. Teach me not to reason why. Teach me that to do and die is to be like Jesus. I would be like Jesus. I would be like Jesus. Help me, Lord, to daily grow more and more like Jesus. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.